as a young man, uh, we were in Gothenburg, and we uh, were, uh, we, was the youth pastor? Gothenburg. There we go. Somebody knows something out west. That's good. We were in Gothenburg in a free church, and um, my wife and I were, we worked with high school students mainly, and every year we would take several trips, and one of them would be a ski trip. And invariably, on uh, every ski trip, something would happen, whether it's a vehicle breakdown or um, uh, altitude sickness, which would then translate into me being woken up in the middle of the night saying, Kevin, hey, I barfed and there's a trail from my bed to the bathroom. Could you clean this up and help me? Which then leads me to what I'm going to tell you this morning. There was a particular young man who I loved a lot, but he was a continual frustration for me. And... Um, I just took a trip with him to Kansas City, and he's doing great. He's leading FCA, and really God's done amazing work in his life. But he was just a continual frustration. And, I mean, he was the guy that would be in the back of, we had a Tuesday morning prayer breakfast. We, had, we invited students to, and they, he would come, and he would sit in the corner and sleep. He was the type of guy that would uh, fall and, and invariably break something. And this particular trip, it was his nose a couple of times. And we were going down the mountain, and I was following him with a bunch of other people, and I saw him fall, and he was laying there, and it took me a little while to get to him, and another guy came up to him that I didn't know, and, and it looked like he was asking if he was okay. I pulled up, and sure enough, that's what he was doing. He said, hey, and I'm not going to name the student's name, but hey, are you okay? And are you okay? And this young man was not answering him. And, and I was continually frustrated with this. And so I said, finally, hey, whoever you are, insert name, why don't you answer the guy? And he looks up at me and goes, I would, but I'm out of breath. I mean, he had fallen, right? And he had obviously knocked the wind out of him. And I made a complete fool of myself. And later I'm going, well, Kevin, why did you do that? Why did you... Why were you so adamant about wanting him to answer to this man? And it seems kind of like a silly thing. But what I concluded later on was that I really loved and wanted the approval of a total stranger. More than the young man lying on this slope more than the approval of God in my life. I wanted that. I needed that, I thought. And, and that was a big part of my early years as being a youth pastor, that I would um, think and do things to gain the approval of the parents, to gain the approval of the older people in our church, to gain the approval of the person who hired me, to gain the approval of the students themselves. I don't know if you've ever been like that in your life, wanting and needing and desiring the approval of others. Maybe you've made a decision or altered your life or altered your thinking or you chased after something or someone and you're wanting their approval or acceptance so much that you will just alter how you look and what you do and how you think, knowing that that's probably not going to, but wanting it to last, but knowing that it probably 
won't. And if you think about it, it seems like you're our hamster, right, that's in the wheel. That you're making movement, and it seems like something is happening, but you're absolutely going nowhere. We're in a series, and we're talking about God. We're talking about who God is, and we're focusing specifically on four truths. And obviously, there's many more attributes and truths about God that we could talk about. We're going to focus on four of them. And this is our premise, is that if we learn these four truths about God and we begin to speak to ourselves about these four truths on a regular basis and we really begin to believe them, it is going to help you and I deal with the majority of stuff that goes against God in our life. Now, the premise for all this is that you have said yes to Jesus Christ in your life. You believe that he died for you, for your past, for your present, and for your future things that go against who God is. You believe that he has died for that. Not only that, but you believe strongly that he conquered death. He resurrected is the term that scripture uses. He rose again. He is alive. He was seen after, right? He was seen after that with his disciples. He had a fish fry, in essence, with his disciples on the beach, seen by many more after that. And now he's seated um, by his heavenly father in heaven. And, and that is what our faith rests on. That is the hinge for us. And, and because of that truth, then from that moment on, then I begin to go, I'm saying yes to that, I believe in that, so now I want to live my life like Jesus. And I don't need anything else but him, but God in my life. And so last week we looked at um, the attribute that God is great. And we said that God is great, not like insert a certain food or whatever it might be is great, but God is great in the sense of when we use scripture where he uses that spatial metaphor, which God is beyond space, but to help us grasp it. He says that the universe, and we explain you know, the expanse of that, can fit in the palm of his hand. It's that kind of great. And so because that God is great and greater than everything else in our life, we don't then have to try to be in control. We can trust him. We can release that part of our life to him, and we don't need to control. Um, we don't need to be in control. We can put the control in God's hands and trust and live our life in freedom with that. Today, we're going to look at the second one, um, the second attribute of God. We spend a lot of time, I believe, worrying about um, what others think of us. Some of us might even lose sleep if someone says something to us directly or on social media. And it might be just a meaningless comment or it might be something that's more meaningful. And it might have been directed to you or it might not have been directed to you and you don't know the meaning of it necessarily. And we just, our brains begin to turn, well, what did he or what did she mean by what they said? 
or, or what they did or how they looked at me or they didn't say anything to me when I passed them or whatever it might be. And we just get consumed with that. We spend a lot of time and energy worrying about those kind of things because we so desperately want their approval in our life. But what we're going to look at today is this idea, or not this idea, but this premise that if God is truly glorious, and that's, you know, we just looked at God is great last week, today is God is glorious. If God is truly glorious in our lives, then we don't have to give up so much weight to what others say or do about us. Let me say that again. If God is truly glorious, then we don't have to give so much weight to what others say about us. Because if we have God's approval, then ultimately we don't need man's. And if we don't need man's approval, then we are um, incredibly freed to love others like we should instead of seeking their approval or seeking to please them in our life. Um, an author wrote this definition about um, his glory, about glorious, because sometimes it's hard to really define what glorious is. It's like um, we can define what maybe a football is or you know, a tennis ball or something like that. We can, you know, tell what that looks like. And then next time you encounter that, you go, well, that's, that's, that's what it is. But when it comes to words like beauty and, and glorious, it's really hard, or glory, it's really hard for us to really define what that is. Because it's like when I see it, then I know that, that that's beauty or then I know that's glorious. But an author attempted at uh, a definition of glorious, and this is what he came up with. It's possessing consummate worth, beauty, virtue, and excellence. That's what glorious, according to this author, means. It's, it's possessing, something possessing consummate worth, beauty, virtue, and excellence. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that's used for glory is kavod or kavad. And what it means is this idea um, is related to this idea of heaviness or weight. And it's not necessarily physical weight, but what it means is, is, is that this importance of something in your life. Talking about kings in the Old Testament and, and the kavad of the king, the glory of the king was uh, related to how much wealth he had, related to how much... Um, possessions he had and that kind of thing. And, and what scripture says in the Old Testament is that this kavod, this weight, this importance of this glory of man, that, that God's glory, his um, kavod is so much greater than man's. And I'm guessing that you've seen this play out in your life. Have you ever seen a clip in a movie or seen this happen in real life where um, there is a someone who is not of great physical strength and he goes up to and he's really scared and he's getting bullied and he finally says, I'm going to face up to my, my um, bully people. <laughs> I know, I'm awkward. And he goes and he goes, all right, I'm just going to do this. And so you see him walking up 
to the bullies and he's getting prepared to fight or he's getting prepared to say whatever he needs to say. And you see the three or four um, there and they're ready to just take him down. And you say it's not going to end well. And he says his thing or she says her thing. And um, all of a sudden you see them cower and you see them walk away in defeat. And you go, what happened? And then you look, you know, the pan goes behind them and you look and there's this big dude or multiple people, whatever it is, behind him. And you go, ah, I see what just happened. This person is carrying a lot of weight and is making them obey or do what this person in front is saying. The more influence you have, it, or the more influence a person has over you, the more weight it's going to carry in your life. We see that all the time. A boss is going to carry more weight in your life than a coworker, your spouse, or your spouse should carry more weight than a friend in your life. If you want to know how glorious you think something or someone is, just examine, right, how much you listen to them. How much you trust them. How much you obey them. If you want to know how something is glorious in your life, ask how much it affects your behavior. How much time do you spend there? How much time do you spend pursuing them or thinking about them? How much money do you spend? On that pursuit. What we're going to see is that God tells us that there's nothing more glorious than himself. There's nothing more glorious than himself. And that he will not share his glory with anything or anyone else. In the Old Testament, we have Genesis and Exodus. And in Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, this is what it says. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, O Lord, among all the gods that are on the earth? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, and doing wonders? And so what we're saying is that God is glorious. And when we say God is glorious, what we're meaning is that we're talking about the reality that no one is to be held in awe, respected, or feared above God. And so when God is glorious, and that's what, we mean, was what we're meaning by that, we don't have to, so then, we don't have to fear others. When, God, when we esteem that God is glorious, and we're telling ourselves that, then the um, effect of that on our life is that we will not then begin, or we will not fear others in our life. What does the Bible say about his glory? In creation, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we see that, that, um, that God created and that he is the judge over all. And then we see Genesis 3 and we see the, you know, Adam and Eve and his creation. They lost that fear of God. They lost that, um, that the, uh, the thought that God is glorious and what began to happen uh, they began to get skewed, this reality that they were living, it was just skewed, and they began to trust in themselves and believe that what they were doing was better than who God was. And we have now, we live in this Genesis 3 type of world in our life. 
And so we have this creation, and we call that the fall. And then we have redemption, where Jesus has come back onto this earth, and he lived his perfect life. And we see in his life that the glory of God in his life it triumphed over the approval of religious leaders in Jesus' life, even to the point where he is obedient to death. He, he didn't live his life on the approval of his family, his mom and dad or his half-brothers and half-sisters. He didn't live his life on the approval of his disciples. We see that over and over in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He didn't live his life on the approval of the leaders in Rome or even the people that he was going to the cross for, you and I. It's interesting. I love this phrase. I read it the other day. He said, he died disapproved, of, of, he died disapproved by the world because he lived in the approval of the, of the Father. He died disapproved by the world so that we can enjoy the approval of the Father. And so again, to see him as more glorious than anyone or anything else and live in view of his glory about everyone and everything else is paramount for us. We need to see him, first of all. We need to see him as glorious. And then with that, we need to live in that promise. We need to live in that view of his glory that is above everyone and anything else in our life. Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 7, talk about that those who fear the Lord have the eternal security of a God who is glorious and loving. The opposite of that, the opposite of that is really found in Proverbs 29, 25, where it says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And so we begin to see the scripture lays out this idea that the opposite of the fear of God, which is really God is glorious, is this fear of man in their life. And that is what has been plagued us ever since Genesis 3 happened. And it's a continual thing in our life. It's an everyday thing. The Hebrew word here for snare is this, is refers to really what hunters will do, will lay out these traps that are used to catch animals or birds. And we begin to understand that, that these kind of traps, these snares are dangerous. And I mean, I brought one that maybe we don't use so much anymore, but we used to to catch mice in our house, which are rodents. And if you don't think they are, well, we can talk later. <clears throat> I don't like mice. Anyway, so we've developed this mouse trap. It's a trap. And so if I'm going to be a good mouse trapper, um, I'm going to figure out what they like, right? And so what I've assumed in over the years that we've caught mice in our place is that they love peanut butter. So I'm going to get a dab of peanut butter and gently put it right there. And so I'm going to, they're going to, the mice are going to smell it and they're going to sniff around it. And pretty soon what's going to happen is they're going to pounce right there and it's going to catch them and they're caught. And that's what it is when we see, um, we, we elevate the fear of man. We elevate the approval, the desire of man. Because really Satan is that hunter. And he's developing traps all around us to ensnare us to this. 
And just like I would put peanut butter on this, he's figuring out, all right, who it is or what it is that I'm going to place there to ensnare you, right, to be caught in this trap. And, and what's true about someone who's caught in this trap is that they're stuck there. And that's true about us as well. When we are ensnared in this trap of needing the approval of a spouse or our children or our boss or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or just friends in general or whatever it might be in our life, that that begins to then put us in this trap and we're stuck there. But when we view God rightly and when we view God as glorious and he is above all people, then we are we don't get ensnared in a trap. There is safety there. And then we are free. We have freedom. We have movement to live the life that we were meant to live. Approval is the idol that we worship that calls us away from trusting and believing God is glorious. Three words, affirmation, love, and relationship, all natural to us as human beings, all something that God has put inside of us. And these are at the, the center of this need, right, for this approval idol. When it's wrongly appropriated, this is what is at the center of this approval idol. And what we are willing to pay to make this keep going is really to be inauthentic about who we are and, and then we really become codependent on that person. Rejection is our greatest nightmare. I don't want to be rejected. I don't want you to reject me as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a man. Insecurity becomes a problem becomes a problem emotion of us. And we'll hide or we'll do different things or we'll mask it, whatever it might be. The fruit that comes out of our life, rather than what we see to be true in Galatians 5, the fruit that comes out of um, this idol of, of approval is we have this unhealthy fear of other people's rejecting or people rejecting us. There's this fruit of being controlled by others because we, quote unquote, need their acceptance. We are very, very susceptible to peer pressure in our life. There's this unhealthy fear of being exposed as a fraud. We begin to develop a real penchant for these small lies to make ourselves look good. Sometimes people can make us jealous, they can make us angry, they can make us depressed, or they can make us anxious. Part of this fruit of the approval idol is that we might begin to avoid people. Or we might begin to compare ourselves to other people and say, I can never measure up to that person in my life. And then the other fruit is that we have this uh, fear of telling others about Jesus and what Jesus has done in our life. And the way that our culture has tried to overcome this um, approval idol is that we've been fine, we have 
try to find ways to bolster our self-esteem. Um, but in doing that, it actually compounds the problem in our life because, and this is why that's true, is because we become dependent on whatever or whoever is going to boost our self-esteem. And what we know to be true um, is that it doesn't last. We need to keep going. We need to keep going. We need to keep going. We are so dependent. And the deeper we go, the deeper we go, the deeper we go, the more controlled, even though we want freedom, even though we, want, we don't want to be controlled, what we've really done is that we are now controlled by the very thing that we don't want to be controlled by, and that's other people. Some have described low self-esteem as just really um, pride that's been filtered or thwarted. Because why? Because we don't think we have the status that we deserve. I want to try to visualize this. And David took a picture of this and he said, and hashtag that, will it work? <laughs> And it may or may not. But it's always interesting to me um, that we tell our kids to um, not play with matches, to not play with fire. But yet every year around their birthday, we'll get this cake and we'll put fire sticks on this cake. And we'll go, hey, have fun. Get near it and blow it out. It's all good. I've never understood that. But anyway, here we go. I want to demonstrate. Oh, my goodness. This would have to be this. Here we go. Lord, please make this work. So this one here is this whole approval idol, this fear of man. And this one here is going to represent God, that God is glorious, right? So we're thinking that this is man's glory and this is God's glory. And for us, right, is that we think that, that this is going to solve that need that we have to be in relationship to, to want to be accepted in all of that. And we quickly begin to realize that when we do that, it's just a piece of wax and burnt wick, and it doesn't come back, right? But when we elevate God, and I, and I think you know where I'm going to go with this, but when we elevate God, and I hope this works, when we elevate God, Above all, and we look to him for our approval, we can try. Oh, yes, it worked. We can try, but it's not going to go out. I know, it's a cheesy illustration. But for me, that's what I was thinking about. This is what it's like, right? We, we think that this is going to supply our needs the approval of others, but it doesn't. But when we look to God, that God is everything, his flame is never going to go out. And he's the one that ultimately our approval needs to come from. A heart not trusting God is glorious, believes that God's opinion, and this is really what it means, is that God's opinion, God, your opinion, and your perspective isn't the most important thing in my life, what Jesus did on the cross for me, his resurrection, didn't gain me the approval that I really need 
And what I am saying to God, what I am saying to Jesus is that what you told me, what you did is really just a lie. And I know best. And what I know best is that others' thoughts and opinions of who I am is really the ultimate and really what I need. And what I'm trying to get across to you and I this morning is this. Is that only God is truly glorious. And thus is able to give you and I the approval that we long for, that we long for and the security that we seek. Because in Jesus we are fully approved by the most glorious one and that is God himself. Here's what I believe is the point this morning. Is that God has the power to free you, to free me. And he wants you to live and he wants me to live in this safe freedom of trusting him. But he doesn't free us from the, or absolutely remove us from our fear of disapproval. Let me, say, let me rephrase that, because that didn't make sense. He frees us not by removing our fear of disapproval, but by transferring. So he doesn't remove that, but he transfers that to the right place. I hope that makes sense, because that's really important. He doesn't remove that fear of disapproval, but what he does is he transfers it to the right place, and that is to God as opposed to man. And what he also does is he frees us typically by helping us face our fear, our false fears, and help us understand that so that they begin to lose their power over you and I. And so here's really what we begin to need to do in our life. is to begin to question why I have this fear of man in my life? Why do I have this fear of this other person that's controlling me in my life? I mean, really think deeply, and that's really what this whole idea is about, just asking this why question, why do I do this? And you can just be that annoying little one in your life that always asks the question why, and you just keep going why. Why do I do this? 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 Until ultimately you can't ask that question anymore, and you get to the bottom of what you truly believe and what you're put, truly putting your trust in. And you begin to articulate that fear that you have and you begin to see it in light of God's glory. <coughs> and scripture says every time that you look at a sunset, every time you look at a sunrise, or every time you look at something that's incredibly beautiful in this world, it's a reflection of God. And, and God is so much more than all of that. And so scripture says that there's all kinds of reminders every day if we're just looking of his glorious and how much more he is than all of that. And we begin to compare that to, to this. And we begin to see how incredibly worth, worthless that really is in our life. So question, begin to question, begin to ask yourself questions. Begin to courageously confront this fear of another person in your life. Remember that courage is not the absence of the emotion of fear, but the resolve to obey despite what we feel.
So courage is not the absence of that. We're not saying that you remove all of that because we can't. That's just naturally who we are. That's just what happens in our life. But when we have courage to confront, what it's saying is, is that there's this deep resolve to obey despite what we feel in my life. Question, courageously confront, and then from that, confess that before God in your life. This idea of that God is glorious and really the fear of God is very liberating for you and for me. In Matthew 6, it says that, um, that God takes care of the lilies of the field, that God takes care of the sparrows in the air. How much more will he take care of you? And it's that much more were these two words that are really cool is that we need to begin to focus on that. We tend to focus on um, these other things in our life. And what scripture says in Matthew 6 is that we need to begin to focus on the much more of who God is. The fear of God is liberating. It's freedom. I invite you to try it in your life. It doesn't mean that we don't take people's expectations seriously. Because we want to love them as God commanded that we do love them. But what we don't want to do is to be enslaved by them in our life. And here's the key difference. Is that we don't love them and, and consequently serve them so that we can get something from them. And that's really what is happening if you don't view God as glorious. If you don't begin to view that God is great, is that what ends up happening is that everything that I'm doing is out of a selfish motive. It's I want something from you. I want approval. And we don't name it. It just is there. I want affection from you. I want security. And invariably, that person is going to fail you at some point. And you're going to go, why? What happened? But by submitting to his lordship in our life, we are free to love others well. God is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. Incredible, incredible truth, a simple truth, but one that's really hard to implement in our life. And I pray that that is true 